704-570-1110, 99.3-WBT, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. See, Joe Biden was right. Promise delivered. He said, it was actually a year ago, one year ago, that Joe Biden assured everybody that there would be no vaccine mandates. And today, a court just blocked the vaccine mandate, so Joe Biden was correct. Why everybody's giving him such a hard time all the time. Um, I got this press release here in the inbox, which, of course, it would be in the inbox. But um, this comes from the North Carolina Democratic Party, and uh, they've got a, an event out in Asheville. And I, I'm not going to go over the particulars, but the headline on is local leaders and advocates hold Asheville press conference touting BIL's funding to expand broadband in Western North Carolina. And uh, this was the, uh, the bipartisan infrastructure law, the BIL they're calling it now, or either that or it's brother-in-law. I'm not sure. But I only uh, give you that uh, uh, press release headline for one reason, which is Democrats are very, very, very worried, very worried. Because they see the same polling, probably better, than we are seeing. One of the things in politics, like if if a campaign or candidate, if they put a poll out and it comes back as good for them, usually they'll leak some of the stuff or, or push it out there. Like they let it be known that, hey, we got some good numbers. You're not seeing that from Democrats at all. We're not getting any polling from Democrats. And believe me, if there was good polling, we'd be seeing it. But what we're seeing are polls like this. This is the latest from the Wall Street Journal. And this this is like break glass in case of emergency. Like, holy cow, we need to have press conferences touting all of the infrastructure, every spending, you know, everywhere, every city, every county, everywhere, every day, more news conferences. Because this was the Wall Street Journal polling that just got dumped. Unaffiliated, independent voters. 30% approval rate for Biden. 66% disapproval. Republicans hold massive leads on rebuilding the economy, getting inflation under control, and securing the border. They are in some serious trouble. Serious trouble. Which also explains the litigation we're seeing on the maps. Now, not entirely. It's not entirely. I mean, if Democrats had a stronger position, they might not be suing as much. So it's not entirely due to the terrible polling that the Democrats are seeing for themselves. But it is a part of it. Because if you were confident that you would be able to take back control of various legislatures around America... You wouldn't need to spend the kind of resources on these cases, right? These legal bills and stuff. You wouldn't need to do it, but they do need to do it because they can't win. Because as I said at the beginning of the show, all they have to be is not crazy. And they just can't seem to do it. Can't pull it off. So they're going to litigate all of these uh, legislative maps for Congress, for state houses and the like, all over the country. Well, just in the Republican 
led states that drew the maps. So I'm going to get to that. A couple things, though. Former North Carolina Congressman Mark Walker, according to the Carolina Journal report by Dallas Woodhouse, who was the former chairman, chairman of the, or executive director, executive director, former executive director of the state Republican Party. Um, I think that's right. Or maybe he was the chairman. I forget. Anyway, uh, he is now writing for the Carolina Journal. And he had the story a couple of days ago, I want to say, over the weekend. Former North Carolina Congressman Mark Walker will drop his bid for the U.S. Senate and will file for the newly drawn 7th Congressional District at the urging and with the endorsement of former President Donald Trump. Multiple sources confirmed for the Carolina Journal. That reported in early November, Walker was taking numerous calls urging him to shift gears and to try to return to the U.S. House. So when he was uh, a congressman, he became the youngest chairman ever of the Republican Study Committee, a coalition of conservative members of the GOP caucus, which, by the way, rankled some of the Freedom Caucus members, like Mark Meadows. They were always like, who's the more conservative caucus, that kind of thing. When court-ordered redistricting in 2019 changed Mark Walker's district into one that was friendlier to Democrats, he decided not to run for re-election. And so uh, he had previously represented the 7th District, which was Guilford County, Alamance, Lee, Chatham, Davidson, Randolph, Southwestern, Wake County. Um, he's also represented parts of the newly opened 7th Congressional District. He lives within a handful of miles of the 7th District line. Members of the congressional delegation from North Carolina do not have to live in the district to run for a seat or to represent it. Okay, And there's a lot of that going on this year. President Trump has urged Walker to drop his bid for U.S. Senate in part to assist Trump's picked candidate, Ted Budd. There is no public polling or data that supports the conclusion that Budd is better served with a two-man race against former Governor Pat McCrory or not. But that was sort of the conventional wisdom, which was that with Budd and Walker vying for the, you know, conservative grassroots kind of base voter, it would create this path down the middle for McCrory. That was the conventional wisdom. I don't know if that's true, but that was what people thought. Um, Charlotte Observer, News and Observer, Danielle Battaglia reporting, and this also uh, is part and parcel of a report from the uh, Politico folks, that over the weekend, Trump offered Walker an endorsement if he switches races. This is according to Jack Miner, who is Mark Walker's former chief of staff. Um, that is the most prominent in a series of campaign moves that have been backed by Representative Madison Cawthorn that could set up North Carolina allies of Trump and Cawthorn to run for Congress from the mountains to the coast, according to a document from this meeting that was obtained by the News and Observer. I have a picture of it here. So Cawthorn puts himself in the 13th district that does include portions of Mecklenburg County, the western, uh, that western part along the river and up into the north Mech area. Dan Bishop, Richard Hudson, Virginia Fox, Patrick McHenry, Michelle Woodhouse, Greg Murphy, Sandy Smith, David Rouser, Bo Hines, and Mark Walker. 
These are the 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 Republican candidates out of the 14 total congressional seats. This is Congressman Cawthorn's plan for North Carolina. That's what it says uh, right there on the slide, on the handout that he gave, apparently, at this weekend meeting. ThePeteCallanerShow.com. You can also hit me up on the Twitter machine, at PeteCallaner. You can also get the podcast. Remember, go to WBT.com. It's also at ThePeteCallanerShow.com. But you go to BT.com and you get all of the podcasting there. Uh, stripped of all the commercials. Kind of naked, if you think about it. And, well, I should say naked. Naked means you don't have clothes on and you're doing something. So, naked, uh, but without the spots. And uh, so, basically, uh, like, we've already got some of them up, right? Like, yeah. yeah. So, like, the first hour is already up. Second hour, is that up, too? Yes, and yeah. and Tommy Hicks. And the interview. See, like, that's what Ryan does. Rather than have to listen to me talk, he just, he 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 puts up the podcast. So, he doesn't have to listen to me. That's, it's a win-win. <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah so if you get and you just it's very easy if you don't have any experience with podcasts it's super easy and i'm telling you once you once you go pod well you'll really like it and there are other podcasts that you then it'll recommend like oh if you like the pete calendar show you'll also like you know the brett winterville podcast and gives you recommendations and then they just come right to your smartphone as soon as we upload them boom it's right there and you could just listen to them Take them with you know, wherever you go. Like put it on the pillow next to your uh, head when you go to bed. And I will, you know, you drift off to sleep listening to the the dulcet tones of Pete Callender. Okay, so Preston, hello, welcome to the program, Preston. What is going on? Hey, thanks, Pete, for taking my call. Certainly, thanks for making it. What's going on? Uh, well, Saturday I went to Asheville and I thought about you while I was there. Uh, my wife wanted to go to the, you know, see the gingerbread houses. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Asheville, you know, the food, for some reason, liberal cities have the best food. I, I don't know why. But, you know, we walked around downtown and all, and I kept thinking to myself, you know, I keep my conservative views, uh, you know, secret or whatever. And my question was. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute. Hang on. Hang on, hang on Preston. Are you saying that you when you walked around on the streets, you did not scream and yell your politics into the faces of other people? Uh, no, uh, but there were some of those uh, <laughs> saying the other way, though. That's right. Like That's so not a Nashville thing. That's how they knew you were a tourist, was that you're not screaming and yelling. How many bumper stickers are on the vehicle that you drove into town? Uh, none, none. Well, there, that's the other sign you're a tourist. you got to have at least half a dozen, minimum. There you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah, there was this one guy yelling on the corner, and I'm thinking, man, he's a, an Antifa-type fellow. And so my question to you, Pete, and I won't hold you up, is how did you exist in this? You know, <laughs> did you ever get accosted? I know the area around Asheville is pretty conservative, but yeah. Asheville itself is a, is a pretty uh, yeah. liberal bastion, and yeah. I'll take it off the air. Then. All right, Preston, I appreciate it. It's a blue dot in a sea of red, or as I like to call it, a target-rich environment. Um, it was, <laughs> it was, it was, I mean, look, there are a couple areas. So one of the nice things about uh, big differences, I will say about, uh, between Asheville and Charlotte, Asheville did not enjoy the, uh, the annexation gone wild that Charlotte got to enjoy. Okay. So it's more difficult for Asheville to annex in surrounding areas against their will. And because of that, there are a lot of these areas 
that are outside city limits, but because of, and this is probably way more than you ever anticipated, but because of that, there was a, there's a big fight for the better part of a century up there over the water access. And which is amazing to me when I got there, because like, they don't talk at all about regionalism. You got all these lefties, Democrats up there. The city of Asheville has the water system because all of these little water systems during the great depression started defaulting and the state came in, bailed them out, gave the system to the Asheville, uh, uh, water authority basically and they consolidated this system but Asheville was always trying to charge different water rates for people outside city limits and they got sued repeatedly for it and they kept losing uh and so they got slapped with some state law democrat on democrat action there uh it's called the Sullivan Act anyway so there were all these different little areas around Asheville. So if you got outside of the city limits, there were certain areas that you could get to. For example, now this is inside city limits, but I will tell you, uh, Biltmore Village, double thumbs up for Biltmore Village. If you can, if you get down into the Biltmore Village area and then down Hendersonville Road to South Asheville, that's where all the Republicans live. And that's why they've been trying to get uh, representation from uh, at the state legislative level to include themselves in the Henderson County district because Asheville is completely represented by Democrats. Although I will tell you all three of those state representatives, um, we've got Brian Turner, Susan Fisher, and John Ager. All three of them announced they're not running for reelection yet. Another sign of the pending red wave. People are, it's it's not going to happen. Not in Asheville, not in Buncombe County. It's, I think it's too far gone blue, but we shall see. We shall see what Mark Muller has to say in this news update from the WBT News Center. You know, I'm telling you, I love Biltmore Village. It's, it's We lived there for almost two years during the pandemic in an apartment building that was pretty brand new up there. It was great. It gave us a little bit of like the Charlotte experience, kind of like an urban feel without actually having to be downtown Asheville because they're crazy downtown oh, Asheville. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> All right, into the news now. Preston's question. The answer to that question was not very well. <laughs> no, I fit in just fine. I fit in fine for, you know, Western North Carolina. I fit in just fine for most folks in Western North Carolina. City of Asheville with the uh, uh, the Antifa, anarchist, Marxist, LARPers types. You know, these, I mean, look, and hey, I offered up, I thought, some really good ideas that should have appealed to uh, the folks, you know, in the Moonbat Brigade as well. I thought I had some really good ideas. Like, for example, um, you know, like Charlotte right now, they're talking about, like, renaming the streets, tearing down the racist monuments and all of that. Well, Asheville did that too, right? Asheville tore down the Vance Monument because Zebulon Vance was uh, from Buncombe County, which, by the way, little known fact, you know the term bunk? as in that's bunk, as in BS, as in garbage, as in not true, whatever. Bunk, yeah, that is, uh, that comes from Buncombe County. Because there was a guy, there was a congressman from Buncombe, (laughs) and he would go to Congress, and he would just, like, blabber on and on and on and just talk about all sorts of crazy stuff. And so they were like, oh, that's Buncombe. And that's where the word came from. Anyway, um, Zebulon Vance, former governor, he, um, he was... Local guy, became governor during the Civil War, so he's a racist, got to tear it down. Oh. 
All right. Well, I, I, I will suspend my story of my idea for replacing the Vance Monument in Asheville. All right. Well, spoiler alert. Well, I mean, just short story was I suggested just a really like a life size, just convert the obelisk, which now is no longer there, which looks like the Washington Monument. My suggestion was make it into a replica of a bong. And they did not like that idea. Then I suggested a syringe, and they didn't like that either. But those were my ideas because that's the kind of guy I am. I'm a, I'm a giver. About solutions. Speaker of the House, Tim Moore, I'm sorry to subject you to that, um, but uh, welcome to the show. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm just visualizing this really large bong in Asheville all of a sudden that you, uh, that yeah. you were talking about there. Well, I mean, I had some ideas when they were tearing down the Vance Monument, and you know, because it was expensive. And so I said, well, as long as it's there, you might as well just like. How about reuse it, you know? Just why tear it down if you can reuse it? I had another idea. Like, you know, they're always out there with the, the cardboard signs. They're, it's, it's not environmentally friendly. So I said, how about we erect a big whiteboard or blackboard or whatever? Like, I'm not trying to ascribe any kind of color to the board, but a big board where people could just write messages for whatever their daily protests were about. You know, that's environmentally responsible, but I'll tell you this. I think that I think that whoever designed the interchange at 485 and 85 <laughs> had, that, had that giant bong before it ever got put up. In that. It's true. It's true. Yeah. It is awful. Yeah, that the whole yeah everything about that malfunction junction is just awful. Well, I will say this: their inability uh, to decide on. Uh, the road funding they, and the refusal for like the, the far left progressives, they didn't even want the road to be expanded or fixed because that meant more gasoline would be used and they didn't want that. And so they dragged their feet for so long that Charlotte got its beltway, its outer loop uh, fixed. <laughs> we got extra money for it. So, uh, you know, you know, win some, lose some. Um, anyway, so what's going on? You're uh, you're on the road, it sounds like. I appreciate you, uh, you, you uh, making some time for us today. I did want to ask you about the... Uh, uh, the candidate filing that was on, then off, then back on again. <laughs> and so uh, I am curious, the GOP put out a statement, and I don't know if you have any information about this or not, but uh, Darren Jackson, one of your former colleagues, Democrat in the House, he's now on the Court of Appeals. Was he involved in the first decision that you're aware of? Uh, I, my understand. My understanding is that he was on the oh. uh, panel that made that decision. So yes, that's what I understand. Oh my goodness! I mean, it's not terribly surprising, but kind of, I don't know, disappointing. I I don't know why. <laughs> my few interactions with well, him on social media it should not surprise me. But you interacted with him in a great deal in in the house. Was that surprising that he came down that way uh, on that rule on this uh, redistricting lawsuit? No, no, it, it wasn't surprising. I would, I would have expected him to vote it that way. Just generally, his position that he had always taken, opposing the maps that that Republicans drew. And I think the problem is with many of the judges ultimately is that they have they're wanting to put their personal political beliefs uh, as the guiding criteria on their decisions. But that's not what the court is supposed to do. The Constitution gives the legislature the authority and the responsibility of redrawing the districts. And the judges should only weigh in insofar as uh, there's any kind of legitimate constitutional challenge to it. And we have been very consistent and followed the law 
Uh, we've not engaged in gerrymandering. We've not drawn these crazy districts like the Democrats drew when they were last in power. We did it in an open and transparent process, which, by the way, is not something we were required to do, but we did. And, and frankly, the court should defer to the Constitution and to the legislature to make these decisions and not try to supplant its judgment for that of the body that's constitutionally chosen to do it. I mean, think about it. What would be the difference between you know, litigants having a case before the Supreme Court and the legislature saying, no, 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 you guys got it wrong. We think we're going to decide this and weigh in and do something. And it, it, the old, I guess the old adage, you know, stay in your lane, Yeah. Uh, kind of what checks and balances are. And we've got some activist judges that whether it's, uh, you know, whether it's voter ID, whether it's redistricting, whether in some cases taxing and spending that just want to try to take all the power. And it's absolutely ridiculous. But the court has uh, the full the full court of appeals did set aside what the uh, three judge uh, appellate panel initially did. And so filing has resumed. So hopefully that will continue and, and will go unabated. But. We also know there's a petition before the state Supreme Court, but, you know, who knows? Right. Yeah, I, I expect them to appeal this. And I, um, well, I can ask you, where do you, do you have any update or where do you stand on the uh, the attempt to recuse or force the recusal of the Supreme Court Justice uh, Phil Berger Jr.? Because his dad is a named uh, defendant because he's the uh, Senate president pro tem. Is that, uh, does that, does that have any traction? Well, it certainly shouldn't and, and for him to have to recuse. And I'll say this, there were some arguing that, that, that Judge Jackson, who was just formerly in the state house, should have recused. I actually disagree. I don't think he had a responsibility to have to recuse on the case. And I don't think that Justice Berger or Justice Baring or either one mm-hmm. need, to rec- need to recuse on these cases. Uh, what's been interestingly is, though, that Anita Earls, who's a, chief, who's a justice on the court, uh, was actually an attorney for the same plaintiffs in some of these cases who sued the state over the previous maps. Uh, so I, I certainly think it's uh, ridiculous to try to force those two justices to recuse who had no personal stake in this whatsoever. They were just, uh, you know, one was in the legislature, one has a family member who's in the legislature, but that's not an inherent conflict. And frankly, regardless of what happened to the maps, I don't think anything would affect uh, Senator Berger's district anyway. Yeah. So what of the um, the the previous ruling? I think I was reading. Oh yeah, it was in Governor Cooper and the Attorney General Josh Stein's in their. Uh, is it a is it a me uh, amicus brief or amicus brief? How amicus you, brief. You, yeah. See, I say amicus as well. I, my my wife's a paralegal. She says amicus, and I I, I don't like the way it's. You sounds. know, it's it's either it's either way. Was it tomato tomato? tomato All right. Let's call the whole thing off. Anyway, no, it's. Amicus, amicus, is however you want to say it. Well, okay. Uh, so it's, I it's will tell my wife that. that. It's, it's not a word that we probably normally use on a day to day. You know, you're not going down the street and go, hey, what's my amicus up to, right? No, you don't do that. So, <laughs> That's true. Uh, but what it means is it means friend of the court. Uh, it's where a person who is not a party to the case uh, files something saying, hey, while we're not litigants or parties, we want to have some say so in this litigation. And so. Uh, the legislature will regularly file amicus briefs on cases. Uh, in this case, of course, the governor and the attorney general have filed uh, amicus briefs, and that's fine for them to file it. But, you know, what's really good is it allows the voters to know where they stand on these issues, particularly when it comes to them opposing things like voter ID 
the 61% of the people right. the polls and amended the Constitution to support. So they say in their in their brief, their amicus brief, that um, that because the General Assembly did not appeal one of the early or two of the earlier rulings, they they cite Harper v. Lewis as one of them, and then another case. They say that um, they never got this didn't get to the Supreme Court. Whether partisan gerrymandering is unconstitutional, the outcome left the General Assembly free to enact new gerrymanders in the future. The General Assembly has now done just that. Um, so was this sort of the was this the objective at that time, it, like that leave it un uh, leave it undecided so the maps could be drawn and then relitigate everything and, and like and if that's the case then I guess everybody should have expected the Democratic Party to sue over whatever maps you guys drew. Well, they were already talking about sue us before we even filed the first map. Yeah, I mean they were remember they were talking about they actually had one uh, uh, group that sued us before we ever even passed the maps. I mean, can you imagine that? You're going down the road, you're thinking, hey, that car up there looks like they might run into me one day. I'm going to go ahead and sue them. I mean, that's basically <laughs> what these guys did. And, it, and it's, it's laughable. And so, uh, but, but the case that's before the Supreme Court, and, and let me go to the amicus argument, it is correct that the, um, the previous courts never did rule on this issue uh, in the in the most recent litigation, because and and so they didn't rule. Mm. And if you look at the previous rulings for decades, in fact centuries, if you will, the courts have never struck down uh, using party as a basis for drawing districts. But you know what we did voluntarily this year was we did not take partisanship into account, even though we believe we could have. So I don't know where they're where they're coming from on these things. It's mm-hmm. just uh, like I said. I guess when you've got no real argument, you just make something up. Yeah. Well, it's the old pound the table, right? Um, uh, argument. And yeah. So that you, you're supposed to use race, except when you're not supposed to use race, and you're supposed to use partisan identification, except when you're not supposed to use it. I think that's the standard you guys are uh, supposed to draw by. Pretty clear. Yeah, that's yeah, that's that's something really concrete to uh, base laws on it. That's right. Uh, Speaker of the House Tim Moore, thanks so much uh, for calling. I do appreciate it, and uh, safe travels to you, sir. And uh, look forward to talking with you again. Hey, Pete, great to be with you. And I'm going to wait to see what you what kind of outdoor yard art you have there for that first uh, first section. Well, you know, once I there's there are no bad ideas under the cone of creativity. That's what I say. No, they're no bad. They're just ideas. Right, exactly. You know the way you're talking, <laughs> Pete, I don't know. I see, I see a future for you as a Democratic judge. Just saying. There you go. Sounds good. All right. Speaker Moore, thanks so much, sir. Take care. All right. Thank you. And I'll get, uh, I'll get into this uh, more in depth tomorrow, uh, I promise. Oh, also, I forgot. Tomorrow, I know I'm all over the map here. Uh, too much coffee today. But the... Uh, International film and television star Nick Searcy going to be joining me tomorrow. He of the uh, uh, fried green tomatoes fame. Nick Searcy, he was Frank from Fried Green Tomatoes. He was also in Moneyball, The Shape of Water. But most people know him from his uh, stint as... uh, Chief Deputy, I think was the official title. Art Mullen in Justified, the TV show. So he'll join me. He's got a movie that he produced uh, about the January 6th 
insurrection. So we'll talk with him about that tomorrow. Anyway, I'll also get into more of the uh, uh, the details on the uh, the redistricting lawsuits and such, um, because the North Carolina Court of Appeals issued an order that temporarily suspends candidate filing, and then the the rest of the North Carolina Court of Appeals came back and said, yeah, we're going to lift that. And they did. And so that's why you got candidate filing uh, that resumed today. However, however, appeals are coming. Governor Cooper and Attorney General Josh Stein, they're asking the state Supreme Court uh, to jump in quickly. They want this, uh, you know, fast-tracked. The parties involved, uh, the plaintiffs, they want it fast-tracked. I suspect there is this effort. Uh, I, I Well, I don't even suspect it. Like, I know. you got a Democrat majority on the state Supreme Court, and so they're going to be trying to get a decision on all of this stuff before the election. <laughs> so this way they don't lose their majority on the Supreme Court before they uh, get a ruling on the case. So we'll get into all of that tomorrow. Uh, if you have some time today, please do us a favor. Get a bike and swing on down to Bank of America Stadium and drop it off for us. I'll be down there in a little bit. I appreciate it. It's all for Hancock's Bikes for Kids until 7 o'clock tonight. Brett Winterville's up next. Stick around for that. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. I'll see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone.